Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm Joe Masato, joined by Barry Trammell. Here to recap the Thunder's 119-115 win, a win, Barry, against the Boston Celtics at TD Garden on Tuesday night. It was the second night of a back-to-back for the Thunder after a very lopsided loss at Philadelphia. And then the Thunder turns around with Lou Dort available this time and beats the Celtics. The Celtics were without Jason Tatum, Kimball Walker, Robert Williams, but still um, Celtics have the, the much better team tonight. Just looked flat. The Thunder took advantage of that, scored 40, 41, I think, points. Yeah, 41-37 in the fourth quarter. There's so much to talk about, Barry. First off, the significance of this win, because tonight would have been 15 in a row for the Thunder, 15 losses in a row. That would have set a new Thunder record. So um, as, as we talked about last – well, we didn't talk about it. We didn't podcast. But as we wrote about in our postgame coverage last game – the 14 tied the longest losing streak set in 2008, the Thunder's first season. Tonight would have set a new streak, and um, the Thunder avoided history. So, Barry, let's just talk with let's talk about what a win means and uh, breaking the streak. Well, I mean, it's clear. I mean, we all you know see the bright side of losses in this in this uh, this tanking season. Lottery helps your lottery odds. But clearly, these guys were getting frustrated with winning. I'm, I'm sorry, with losing. Yeah. Hadn't won in the month of April, and April's almost over. They were over April until tonight. <laughs> uh, March 31st, last victory. So, uh, you know, these guys have pride. They're not seasoned NBA veterans, but, you know, they, they want to win. So they clearly have been trying. And so it was good to see them come, uh, you know, some fruits of their labor. And, um, the truth is, uh, you know, they deserve to win. I thought they didn't, they didn't play that well. They had 27 turnovers for turning that loud. But, you know, they, they tried hard and they got with it. And some guys made some clutch plays. And Boston's a little bit of a mess. And Boston's a lot of bit of a mess. A lot of a mess. <laughs> and so they, they took advantage of it. And there you go. So, yeah, my, my, my favorite part post game was. So Isaiah Roby said he he didn't know anything about the streak, and he said his teammates didn't know either. I thought that was a little bit interesting. I mean, I I believed him because, you know, that's stuff that we pay attention to a lot more than, you know, players or coaches might. But then I asked Lou Dort just out of curiosity, and Lou was like, yeah, I saw that this morning, and I told Shay we're winning tonight. So I thought that was pretty cool that he, he saw that and wanted to avoid a 15th straight loss. Yeah, so – um, it, it was is a case of I, I thought uh, I thought they uh, played good defense. I thought they uh, handled the boards fine, and some guys made some shots. Um, you know, they got they got good scoring out of a lot of different people. I thought Poku played pretty solid. I thought uh, 
Dort didn't shoot it great, but he played well, got 13 foul shots. Baisley came up big, especially at the end. Roby came up big at the end. Ty Jerome, uh, you know, made some shots. So, you know, all in all, it was a good. It was a good night for the Thunder. This is we we want them to we want them to lose every game for those dang lottery odds. But the truth is, uh, people have to stay sane. And losing night after night will make you, will will drive you crazy. So, I think uh, this is probably a good thing for the Thunder. I thought Baisley had the biggest play of the night. So the Thunder led 110 to 100 with 108 left. It looked like it was over. And then you realized, um, as, as you so well put it, the Thunder was over April and was playing a lot of guys who weren't used to finishing uh, games that could result in a win. So it got really messy from there. Peyton Pritchard makes a three. He cuts it to 110-103. Um, then Evan Fournier gets a steal, cuts it to 110-105. Then another Thunder turnover. Uh, Celtics go to the line. Marcus Smart makes two free throws. So it's 110-107 with 48 seconds left. So it's a three-point game. And like 12 seconds earlier, or a little more than that, it had been um, a seven-point, a 10-point game. So, um, And then it looks like the Thunder is about to turn it over again. Lou Dort's trying to break the press. He lobs one up to Baisley. Baisley comes down with it dunks the ball, puts the Thunder back up 112 to 107 with 39 seconds left. So we'll, we'll stop there because there's still 40 seconds of mayhem to, to talk about. But what did you think of sort of that flurry that I just said and um, Baisley's dunk? To Yeah, that, that, was the play, that was the play of the game because Fournier almost did get the steal. Um, he wasn't quite tall enough or maybe he missed his timing. I'm not sure. He came over the top and, and tried to get around Baisley and get that ball, and he didn't. And Baisley, to his credit, Baisley took it to the rack. Baisley impressed me tonight more so than maybe in some other games just because he didn't take bad shots. He wasn't jacking up a bunch of threes. Let's see. He was uh, two or three tonight, um, uh, two of three from three-point range. But two uh, earlier in the fourth quarter, two big back-to-back big plays, he drives the ball and misses and gets his own rebound and puts it in. And that gave the Thunder a little bit of cushion, helped him build that 10-point lead eventually. Uh, and that that aggression he showed with 40, would you say, 50 seconds left, whatever it was. Um, 39, I think. 39, 40 seconds, 39 seconds left. Very big play. Um, and, you know, to me, the uh, that was the play where – it wasn't automatic that he goes to the rack because sometimes when you're up three with 40 seconds left, even if you get a good shot or clear lane to the basket, the tendency is to, hey, run some more clock. And sometimes that can lead to not near as good of a shot. So I thought that was a heads up play and really, you know, gave gave the Thunder a chance to control those last 30 seconds, even though they'd done all they could to make it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would say it still was a little out of control because um, so it, it, at the six second mark, Jalen Brown makes like a fadeaway miracle three cuts the Thunders lead back to 117, 114 after it had been 117, 111. Thunder calls timeout. Um, always, always tricky inbounding the ball. Ty Jerome, um, Throws a bad pass. Evan Fournier steals it. 
Um, and then, so Jerome was trying to throw the pass to Baisley. Baisley fouls Fournier, so it's better for the Celtics probably if if Baisley doesn't commit that foul there. And I just as, as far as how quick it happened, I don't think Baisley was thinking about that. But so Fournier steps to the line. Uh, Celtics down by three. He makes the first. The Thunder said after the game they were prepared for him to miss the second on purpose. He did miss the second. Isaiah Roby comes down with the rebound. Isaiah Roby makes two free throws to cap off the win. But but boy, when when Jerome threw the ball away on that bounce pass and 48 got the steal, I was just like, uh, I don't know if they're going to do it. Yeah. If if ba- you know Basley grabbed his arm as Fournier was stealing the ball, was stealing the pass. If he doesn't foul him there, Celtics are out of timeouts. Fournier has to either dribble it up quick or get a quick pass off. Celtics are probably looking at a heave, um, but it it very well could have been a thirty foot heave. It didn't have to be a half court heave, and those can go in. A lot has to happen if you're if you're if you're uh, down three. And you're about to go to the line. A lot has to happen for you to win the game. So, yeah, that was a good situation for the Thunder. That you know the opponent the opponent has to make, then the opponent has to miss, and then the opponent has to rebound, and then the opponent has to make another shot. So four things have to go right, and that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, stuff going right. So Thunder Thunder got out alive in, in a game that uh, you know they deserved to win. And um, it, it wasn't vintage Celtics, of course, no Jason Tatum, no Kimba Walker, but the Thunder's playing without Al Horford and SGA, so nobody's shedding any tears anywhere in, in Thunderville. So I was happy for the guys. Um, I think it was clear that they, that they uh, were selling out for victory. I just wish if you're going to win, you might as well win in a solid manner. And that rash of turnovers. See, they had they had three turnovers in the final minute. I mean, who does that in an NBA game? You, you, you got a you got a ten point lead at one point. Who has three turnovers in one minute? Uh, By the way, this was a day after they set the team record for turnovers. Yeah, for, with, was it thirty or twenty nine? Twenty nine. Twenty nine in Philly. Twenty seven tonight. That's fifty six turnovers. <laughs> Back to back on the on the uh, spirit of seventy six. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't know. Heck, um, the turnovers really have. I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander is out. That explains the turnovers. But like throughout this losing streak, and even in the win tonight, like the the turnovers have been the one constant. Yeah, they've been going up. They really have. Uh, Baisley had six tonight. That was Maladon had five. Uh, Ty Jerome had four. Uh, just, I think they had four players yesterday who each had five turnovers. <laughs> great day. You know, Poku, to, to his credit, Poku, Pokushevsky only had two tonight. He's usually pretty good for, for several. He only had two tonight. He played pretty well, I thought. Uh, he was sort of an unsung hero. Um, he was plus 11 in the plus minus. Uh, two of four on three-pointers. They really did a nice job shooting the ball tonight, 13 of 30 from three-point range. Um, so uh, I just uh, you know, I thought it was a, if, if they had taken care of the ball better, it would have been in many ways a, an excellent victory. 
Yeah, and the the three-point shooting can't be overlooked because the Thunder got hot there um, in the fourth. I think it was like Jerome, then Mihailuk, and then Baisley. They all made threes back-to-back-to-back, and the Thunder was five of eight from three there in that fourth quarter when they scored 41 points, which the Celtics certainly should never let happen. Um, Mentioned who was out for the Celtics. Really, it was like the Jalen Brown and Peyton Pritchard show, I thought. Brown had 39 points, 11 rebounds. He he was really good, 13 and 26, 4 of 11 from three. Pritchard was especially hot early, finished 9 of 16, 4 of 10, um, had 28 points off the bench. He's turned out to be a really good uh, late first-round pick for the Celtics in his rookie year. But besides that, very – I was a little underwhelmed by the Boston squad tonight. Oh man, that what a that was Fournier was terrible. Marcus Smart was terrible offensively. I mean, together they go three of nineteen, and not not only did they miss, they missed some badly. They each, uh, you know, Fournier looked totally out of out of sorts. I don't know that he's given Boston what they wanted since they made that trade for Orlando. Uh, it made me feel foolish for suggesting, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, that you know that maybe the Thunder could trade Dennis Schroeder for for Evan Fournier, um, and Schroeder is so much a better player than Fournier. It's not even funny, but um, he 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 could still score twenty eight and win you a playoff game or something like that. You know, when it, he he could go off and do something like that. You talking about Fournier? Yeah. I guess, although he has not played well this year for the for the uh, Celtics, I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going on there, but he's. They clearly something's wrong. This is a team. They're in seventh in the East. They're, they're tied with Miami to be in the play-in game. Yeah, so I mean, let me tell you where you don't want to be in the East. You don't want to be in the play-in game because he's yeah. out of it. Hello, Brooklyn. So. That's just a mess. That's just a total mess for those guys. And um, leads me to this question. I got a question for you. Yes. I assume the Thunder tried to trade Al Horford back to Boston. Why wouldn't you make that tra- have made a trade like that if you're if you're the uh, if you're the uh, Celtics? I mean, Danny Ainge has been he's been popped forever. For- yeah. For not pulling the trigger on a trade and always saying, well, we came close. We came close. This looks like a team that was in desperate need of a trade, particularly a big man. Al Horford was a Celtic. They know they know what he can do, who he is, what he is. I don't understand it uh, at all. Um, it seems like uh, this would have been a, a good time for Boston to get in the trade market and try to salvage this season, which is, which is headed for uh, – Massive disappointment. Yeah, and by all accounts, Horford loved his time in Boston, certainly compared to his time in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, they certainly wanted him wanted him back. Looking at the, you know, salary cap sheet, maybe there would have been a third team involved. And all of these deals can be, can be made, um, you know, using additional teams or, or whatever. But just looking at their sheet, Marcus Smart makes 13.4. Tristan Thompson, 9.2. So maybe those those two guys together, could you could put together a, a deal. I, I don't know what that would have looked like, but um, 
I don't know. Thinking they back had to that trade. They had that. They had that trade exception. Oh yeah, they had the. I'm forgetting the trade, the exception. trade exception. All that dude still went a first round draft pick in 24, 25. Yeah. Sam would have said, "Fine, let's go." I mean, so there was, there was very, very little smoke around Horford at the deadline. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. So um, there weren't that many people that that really needed him, but Boston's one of them. Yeah. Oh. So I don't know, um, but now, uh, now they'll rely on Luke Cornett. Yeah, he actually played a good game. He played I, well in Oklahoma City too. He made those big threes in the fourth quarter right after he, the he, arrived. He, he played twenty minutes tonight. He had seven rebounds and was five of seven shooting for ten points. He's in the plus. Um, he's plus one while he's out there. Um, so you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but. Um, but yeah, that Boston seems like a, a total mess at 32 and 30. Um, they should, they should be better than that. Boston should be better than that. The, uh, another cool, uh, side story from this game was it was Mark Dagnalt's return to close, a, a bit of a homecoming for him. He's from Leminster, Massachusetts, Leminster. which is about 50 miles West of Boston. He said he grew up a Celtics fan went to a lot of Celtics games and had quite a bit of family in the seats at TD garden. And, you know, um, when I asked him after the game, he said that, you know, based on protocols, all he can do pretty much is, is wave at them through plexiglass. And I think that was his plan after the game, but, but pretty cool for, for Dagnalt and his first time as a head coach um, at the Boston garden, getting a win against the Celtics with some family in the seats. Yeah, that is cool. Now, it, you know, it's sort of disheartening to know that, uh, here, thirteen months into the pandemic, and he still is—he's still prohibited from from much in the way of of interaction with even your family. Um, those guys have got to be thrilled when that when that part of the deal is over. But uh, yeah, and he, he talked about going to games at TD Warehouse uh, Garden as a kid, and and growing up a Celtic fan, and um, you know, I don't know how you feel about it. St. Joe, but golly, Mark Dagnall seems to just punch every button. Every everything that he can do right, he does right. Even answering a question about being a Celtic fan, you know, yeah. he, he he answers everything correctly, and he's just he well because he finished it with like, and there's no there's no position I'd rather do it in and than as Thunder coach and stuff like right. that. Like very very polished. I. I mean, we've talked about this before, but he's been great to deal with from our perspective. I think he's been a really good, you know, you look up and down the roster of how guys have developed in his track record as a development coach. He's young. I think he's connected with some of these guys. So um, he, he, he has checked the boxes and obviously that 14 game losing streak. I mean, everyone knows that's a result of the roster and the direction of the franchise certainly won't be held against him officially it will be certainly in his record but he he really has done a good job i think yeah he he he's been excellent and the guys are playing hard for him and you know i don't know if he's going to be the thunder coach forever but i'm certainly impressed with with this year one no doubt about it yeah um Barry i thought because we didn't get on last night and talk about the Sixers game. I don't really want to get into it too much because it wasn't the best game to watch. We talked about all of the turnovers and everything like that, but there was a bit of news 
And it's not as newsworthy now because he played exactly zero minutes tonight. But Charlie Brown Jr. is the newest Thunder player. He signed a 10-day contract with the Thunder on Sunday, taking the place of Justin Robinson, who signed back-to-back 10-day contracts with the Thunder. Um, Actually talked to Charlie Brown Jr. this morning about signing with the Thunder. And um, it's a a pretty cool story because – so he went to St. Joseph's in Philadelphia. His first game with the Thunder is against the 76ers. He plays 12 minutes, um, so that was pretty cool for him to get some action. Um, And he said he was really familiar with the Thunder because um, after he declared for the draft, one of his draft workouts was with the Thunder. He said that was his favorite workout, and his agent has basically stayed in touch. Now, there's a very low hit rate of 10-day guys actually sticking around. Obviously, Justin Robinson was, was let go, no longer on the Thunder roster, but Charlie Brown Jr., takes that slot does not play at all tonight neither did Jalen Horde but um did you see anything from Charlie Brown yesterday that piqued your interest uh, two things I love the name um I assume he walks into the boys room cool and slow <laughs> I assume he calls Mark Dagnall but here's what I love about Charlie Brown I love his hair he's got cool hair if you have not seen his hair he's got sort of a two-tone situation going um, it's like a bigger Schroeder patch. Yes, like one side, not all the way to the top, but a good chunk of one side of his of his hair is uh, blonde. And here's what I like about it. Um, I watch games by sight, not by or by by facial recognition or body recognition. Even I don't really look at numbers. Um, who was it? The Pistons or the Pacers? The Pacers are so anonymous that I had to go by numbers and, and check the number almost every possession because I don't have any idea who those guys were. But when a guy walks out there brand new and looks so unique like that, it's just like manna from heaven for me. <laughs> I knew it was Charlie Brown. I don't have to sit there and think about who that is. So I thought that was fantastic. So I hope he has a long and fruitful career with the Thunder because I can, I'll be able to pick him out of a crowd really easy. Um, you know, there's times when, especially on television, uh, there's, there's some body types that sort of, and if you can't really see their face, it, it, some body types can blend in and it can, it can get a little squishy for me. So um, I like what I saw out of Charlie Brown. I assume he can't play. I mean, but I don't know that. Um, he made a basket. Was it a throw? I think he made a corner he three. He made a three. He had two steals. Yeah. Um, it was the most insufferable game of the year. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a long list. Yes, but here's the deal. I, uh, I, I judge it on just complete, complete response. And I nodded off. I didn't get to start watching the game. I went to the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame inductions. Got to start watching about 1030 at night. I nodded off two or three times in the second half, and I finally just stopped the game and watched the rest of it this morning. And um, that hardly ever happens to me, hardly ever. And, um, I mean, if I, if I, if I stop a game and, and, and turn it off, it's because I'm dead dog tired. And I wasn't all that dead dog tired last night. I was just insufferably bored. Uh, <laughs> You know, so that I thought it was the worst game of the year. I mean, Philadelphia 
Philadelphia had really just huddled up and just made a mind to. They could have won that game 174 to 62. I think Embiid could have had like 52, 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're humanity. I mean, they're, they're, I, I don't think they should win a Nobel Prize for peace, but I believe they deserve a nomination. I believe the Sixers deserve to be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for their humanitarian gestures last night. So um, I'm glad that game was passed. It's a great night for the Thunder last night in terms of the standings. Tonight, not so much. But you know what? I think. I think winning was going to come. They were going to lose out. And to go win in Boston, it's sort of a storied place, and, and to play the way they did and get it done, I, you know, good good for the Thunder. Good yeah, how about Minnesota winning back-to-back games against the Jazz and then, you know, Detroit win? So you look at it now, big game going on right now, by the way. I think it's still going on. Is Houston and Minnesota still going on? This is This is not going to matter. Uh, by the time this is being listened to, it's a it's an 86-85 game in the fourth. The Thunder wants Houston to lose um, because they need the T Wolves to win. Yeah, exactly. Because if Houston finishes with the worst record, and right now they have a two and a half game cushion for the worst record, the Thunder has a forty eight percent chance that that pick falls to them at number five. So a virtual coin flip there. Um, but as you look at it now, the Thunder is two and a half or excuse me, two games back of Detroit in the inverse standings for the fourth spot, the Thunder's fifth worst, and then Cleveland is sixth worst. But Cleveland um, is only a half a game behind or ahead, however you want to look at it, of the Thunder, and the Cavs have lost three straight. So I would, I don't know, four, anywhere from four to six is still likely. Um Five is probably most likely where they are right now, and they've been in fifth for a while. But how, how do you see that shaking out? The good news for the Thunder is this: they've got no more games against the the Dregs. The Dregs all have games against each other. So just as we see with Minnesota and Houston tonight, I think there's six games, six or seven games left, in which the Dregs play each other, which means somebody's going to win. Um, you know, most of the time when they don't play each other, they're going to lose. Yeah. When they play each other, somebody's got to win. So that helps. That helps. So, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more encouraged than ever about the Thunder spottery chances, but the truth is you just play it out. You know, your, your, your ping pong balls get thrown in there and out they come. So, um, you cheer for the Thunder to to finish as low as possible, and for Houston to to finish last. And looks like they're going to. And that's just that's just the way you do it. Isn't it kind of crazy how like we were thinking about that Houston pick sort of wrong all along? Like you need them to be bad, but not too bad. And now that they're at the absolute worst, it's like okay, now they need to be the absolute worst. Just because yes. we didn't see this coming. Right. And you know, here's the deal. And the good point is this. When they made the trade for Westbrook and Chris Paul and got those Houston picks in the summer of 19, yeah, July of 19 is when that trade was made. And one of these picks was 21. There was no, there was no uh, thought that, hey, by the summer of 21, the Rockets are going to stink. And, you know, that could be a bonanza. 
And when it was lottery protect, protected one through four, and it, we all thought, well, heck, that's might as well have that protection. There's no chance they're going to be in the bottom four. So this, in many ways, is is found money. It's just a $20 bill laying on the ground. No matter, you know, if it comes in fine, if it doesn't, it wasn't likely to ever be much anyway. So to me, this is just bonus. This is just bonus, whatever happens with with the Thunder and the Rockets in in that pick. And Miami is is screwing around so much that, you know, the Thunder, the Thunder, if they don't get my Houston's pick, they get Miami's. And it's going to be okay. It's not going to be 24th. It's going to be, I don't know, 17th, 18th, something like that, which is not, which is not a bad pick. Yeah. It's also a good lesson of like this, the NBA is so unpredictable. And like, for example, those, those Clippers picks, you're thinking, oh, those aren't going to look good. And now the Clippers are a little bit different because they're in LA and they're always going to be, you know, at this point going to be able to attract star players but like you who knows what they're going to be in 2026 and what those things might look like so that's why you take a chance on these the pick swaps were a very underrated part of that deal everyone's focused on the the actual picks but these those swaps can be so valuable and yeah it's like St. Preston and the Thunder certainly did not envision this scenario when they made the deal but crazy things happened and now there's a 48 percent chance they get the number five pick and uh you know Ten and a half percent chance they get the number one pick. Like the this, it, it would be wild if it lined up that way. But they they've put themselves in position where there's a chance for that. Yeah, so it gives us something to do in the summer. When did you you told me when the lottery? When when's the lottery draw? Is it in June? Oh yeah, I lost June twenty second or June twenty whatever. I can't. Remember. But um, but um, it gives us something to do during the during a slow summer day in, in June. Um, and you Mike, nailed it, June twenty second. You got it June, right. June twenty two. June twenty two. So, and then and, the draft is July 29th. Yeah, you know what? I might be on vacation during the NBA draft. I need to check that out. But um, if I am, Jacko will be pleased because then she, I won't be in her hair. She can write whatever she wants to. So, <laughs> uh, if that's the case, everything's fine. But anyway, um, yeah. So all all systems are go. Um, before we leave, I got one thing I want to throw at you. I just thought of it during the game, and so I've been asking people about it. I'm sitting there watching the Marcus Smart play terrible tonight. He's kept jacking up threes and missing. But when I was watching Flew Dort and Marcus Smart on the court, I thought these guys are similar players um, in terms of they're both combo type guards, stocky, defensive minded, tough, the kind of guys you want in an alley fight. And they're not always real skilled, but they get a lot of stuff done offensively. And you know, they're winners is what they are, you know. And and I got I hadn't made that connection. Now Mark Dagnaught wasn't really buying it all that much. He said their role is similar, but their games are not. But you know, but then Lou Dort said, Yeah, in college, in high school, I think he said in high school, said guys compared me to, to Marcus Smart. I think I see a lot of similarities there, and that is absolutely a compliment to Lou Dort. Oh, yeah. Marcus Smart's a winning player. If Lou Dort gets – if his – if his uh, – if he can get to Marcus Smart's level, well, then the Thunder's got him a fantastic situation because Marcus Smart's a winning 
player. I remember when, when uh, a year or so ago, I saw a Dallas fan uh, proposing a trade. I think it was Josh Richardson. Did he play for the Mavericks a year ago? I think so. <laughs> Suggest some sort of Josh Richardson for Marcus Smart trade um, as a way for the Mavericks to improve. Bill Jones, my friend down in Dallas TV, said, uh, yeah, no kidding. But, oh, yeah, do you think the Celtics have decided they don't want to win anymore? That, that's what Marcus Smart helps you win. Yeah. You know, Lou Dort does for the Thunder. He helps them win games. No, I think it's a really – And he does it now. I think it's a really good comparison. I, if, I, I don't know specifically from who, but I know that that comparison has been out there before, and, and people have made that similar connection. And, and you sort of look at it, I mean, they've got very similar body types. They're both elite defensive players. Um, and they've both, you know, Lou is obviously in his in his second season, but Marcus Smart has has improved so much um, as a three point shooter. Still not a very good three point shooter, but you look at his first couple of years, um, he was thirty four percent, then twenty five percent in the second season, twenty eight percent, then thirty percent. Last three years, thirty six, thirty five, thirty five, while playing really good defense. This year, he's averaging a career high thirteen point six points per game. Um, the one difference in these last couple of years has been assists, 4.9 and 5.5 for Marcus Smart. Lou Dort's not at those levels, but we've seen Dort play more point guard with Shea Gilgis Alexander out and handle the ball a little bit more like Marcus Smart does for the Celtics. So, yeah, I think it's a really good comparison. I may write about that for tomorrow, then. I'm, that's what I might do. So, anyway, it's a, uh, you know, the, the, they got him a victory. And it's not a crushing victory. It looks like, you know, every little bit hurts. Yeah. No one has the right to – I've seen people complain about the win. No one has the right to complain about a win when they've lost 14 <laughs> Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, God. that's right. And 11 of the 14 have been by double digits and 7 of the 14 have been by 20. Yeah, I mean, they've yeah. – they put in the work. They put in the work. They People just, are saying, "Oh, this would be a this would be a crushing loss. This would be an unacceptable <laughs> win." It's like they lost fourteen in a row. <laughs> they they've done that. They deserve a day off. That's the way. I look at it. Yeah. Um, well, that will do it for us. Um, should be a fun one next time Thursday night. The Thunder hosts the Pelicans. Um, so can't wait to talk about that one. But thank you guys for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast, and we'll be back with you on Thursday.